Actual Fluency Podcast, episode 39 with Andre Müller. Welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast, the podcast that gives you the tools and inspiration to learn languages faster and more efficiently. And now your host, Chris Broholm. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Actual Fluency Podcast. And this week, I'm very excited to be talking to Mr. Andre Müller. And right off the gate, I'm, I'm apologizing to Andre because I, I just can't say the combination of the those two names. So if you hear me uh, make a mistake in the interview, uh, please forgive me. But before we get into that interview, I just wanted to give two quick points of information. The first one is that as this goes live, it'll be very soon before December 10th. And if you're listening to this podcast before December 10th and are in London, then please come join the Actual Fluency Meetup, the first meetup I'm organizing, and it's going to be in the middle of London. So there's uh, really no excuse if you're living uh, close to London or indeed in London. And what we're going to do is we're going to meet up, you know, have a beer, just practice some languages or just talk about learning languages and meet some new people. And it's going to be quite a lot of fun. And I see that quite a few people have signed up already so hopefully we'll have a good evening and that will be at uh, the 10th of December so if you're listening to this in the future it was a shame that you couldn't make it or if you did make it it was nice to see you but be sure to check out the meetups page for new meetups in the year 2015 I'm planning a meetup in Athens during the summer period. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be fun as well. And of course, there's the Polyglot Gathering in Berlin. I'm happy to say hi to people, uh, to listeners from the podcast. So if you're coming to the Polyglot Gathering, which I really suggest you do, and if you are planning on going, I suggest you register really soon because it usually sells out, or at least last year it sold out very quickly. And this year they've already had a ton of registrations, even though it's only been open for a few days. So so, you know, if you want to join the Polyglot Gathering, which is, you know, four days of polyglottery, tons of interesting talks, networking with amazing people, and, and most of important of all, just speaking a ton of languages, then please do sign up for the Berlin Polyglot Gathering. And uh, Judith Mayer, one of the organizers, uh, along with Chuck Smith, I've been talking to and also did a podcast interview with both of them. And I'm also getting Chuck to come back on the podcast to talk about the what's different this year. And also he's going to talk a little bit about developing the Duolingo Esperanto course. So that'll be really cool. So a ton of meetups in the new year. There's also the Polyglot Conference in New York City. The date has been somewhat confirmed to October 10th to 11th. And if you're interested in going there, I, I also suggest that. It's a little bit more formal style of event than the gathering, but it's also great to meet people and lots of really cool talks. And of course, New York City, I'm definitely planning on going. I've never been to America, so I'm super excited about going. And again, if you are around uh, the neighborhood, please let's meet up and, and, and uh, catch up with uh, what's been going on. So that was uh, all about the meetups. And the other piece of information I just wanted to give is I think that one of the biggest things that changed my language learning recently was 
getting tutoring and people always told me, you know, get a tutor, get a tutor. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I will, I will, but how? And, you know, I wrote this really long post about it and you can read that on actualfluency.com forward slash tutor. And basically it was just scary for me to talk to someone in a foreign language or indeed just any language, I suppose. I'm a bit of a shy person, but, you know, I finally pulled the trigger and for the two months after I did that first lesson, my language learning has just exploded. Like seriously, when I did my first tutoring lessons, I could barely say hello. And now I, I regularly sustain, you know, 30 to 40 minute, even an hour long conversations in Russian. And it's just all because I took the plunge of getting tutoring. And of course, now I'm staying to the tutoring by, you know, having weekly lessons on the weeks that I'm able to. And that's really giving me not only the things you get in the sessions, I think that's maybe a little bit of a misconception. It's not necessarily only what you learn during the lessons. It's also because you get, get motivated outside of the lessons to do well in the lessons. So when I'm not in a, a tutoring lesson, lesson of Russian, I'm still kind of thinking about the lessons because I want to do better in them. I want to be able to say new words to my tutor and I want to be able to sort of explain myself better and the best side to find tutors i've found is italki and you know you, you could go to italki.com directly but if you want to you know support the show here and uh, tell italki that i uh, sent you and this is my you know <laughs> very honest and and uh, heartful uh, recommendation this is not just a uh, a light-hearted moment. This is definitely a, a very thorough recommendation because I'm using it every week. You know, if you want to tell them that I sent you, you can go to actualfluency.com forward slash italki and that will redirect you to the italki page. But either way, it's totally fine. It's not about me. It's about you. So if you want to kick up your language learning, then uh, then go to italki and get a tutor, try some different ones until you find the right one and uh, you, you're you going to kill it. And actually, you know, why not? Let's make it interesting. You know, if you if you go to italki and get your first lesson and you send me uh, a screenshot or just a note that you've done your first lesson to chris at actualfluency.com, you know, I'm going to give you a free voucher for another lesson. And this offer is, is open to five people. So the first five will send me an email with proof that they registered a session. Um, we'll get a free a session for free. So <laughs> in reality, the getting tutoring hasn't cost you a thing. That was all I had to say for this time. I'm sorry I, I ranted on a little bit longer than usual, but now it's time to get the interview with Mr. André Müller. Alright everyone, today I've got a very special guest. He's a PhD student at the University of Zurich where he studies linguistics and we'll get into just a moment what that kind of linguistics that is. But I'm very happy to introduce the person who's been teaching me Esperanto for the last few months, Mr. Andre Müller. <laughs> How are hey, you today, yeah. Andre? <laughs> hi, hi. Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. <laughs> and I guess Great I should tell here. the backstory of the Esperanto and that's of course you have... Uh, done a lot of work on Forvo, where you put all put your voice to use pronouncing the Esperanto words, and those words have then been synced with Memrise's uh, Esperanto courses. And so you've been in my ear for a few months now. 
Oh, wow. I didn't know that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you for doing it anyway. It's, mm, uh, yeah. it's cool uh, that uh, people, you know, take the time. I, I noticed you record a lot of things, so... Yeah, yeah. also in, in, in German, um, I, I received some emails from people who, who liked my German pronunciation because they say it's very natural and because some other people on Forvo, they pronounce words like very carefully. Right. But, but I, I just pronounce them like I would speak, like I pronounce this word, so blah. Yeah. Mm. I think that's a great thing. And, and you know, Forvo is obviously a fantastic resource for something like a, an Anki, well, not an Anki deck, sorry, a, a flashcard deck, because you get immediate audio. You don't have to sort of make the deck and then ask someone to record it. it it's an automatic uh, feature. Mm. So, so I'm really enjoying that. But maybe we should take a step back. You know, um, we all see you all over the Facebook polyglot groups when everyone uh, is asking about, uh, you know, script related questions. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> somebody ping Andre, Andre, somebody ping Andre. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but, but maybe some people haven't yet pinged you about a, a script question. So maybe take a step back and, and give us a little, you know, the, the, the cliff note stories of how you got into languages and, and then decided to, you know, how to get into university with doing languages and, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think it all started in my childhood, as as, as it usually does. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think I was fascinated with writing systems in 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 primary school already, and um, already in primary school in in Germany, I started learning the Cyrillic script for Russian, and my parents helped me with that because they had Russian in school. I didn't, and uh, my grandmother um, used to be. Um, used to be able to to write uh, um, stenography or short, shorthand German shorthand, and she taught me how to do that. Wow. So I, I was never fast in writing shorthand, but I could write it at some point. And yeah, and then Greek. I was interested in the Greek alphabet, and so on and so on. In in the fifth grade, I started learning the Arabic alphabet, and then Hebrew, and then. I, I jumped into Chinese and Japanese and Korean and <laughs> and it, it went on and on and I, I think yeah um, I think after I finished uh, school in 2004 I, I was probably able to to write 20 or 18 uh, writing systems and by now it's even a little bit more so it's I guess 22 writing systems mm -hmm. that I can write now. And yeah, that's how it started. And of course, through writing systems, I got also interested in languages in general. And I wanted to know, okay, those letters, how, how exactly are they pronounced? And then you look at them up in books and then you see, oh, wow, this language actually is very interesting. And yeah, so I um, started collecting dictionaries and <laughs> I started collecting grammars and um, I was very interested in, at some point, Wikipedia was invented and and there was everything everything was online and I looked everything up and um, yeah and later later on after school I decided um, yeah why not study linguistics I didn't know that that it was an, um, an available course at first but then after someone told me yeah linguistics that could be something for you mm -hmm. and I thought wow yeah why not <laughs> so I decided um, to study uh, at my university in, in Leipzig in Germany to study linguistics and as my second major because we need to, we needed two majors um, I chose um, Chinese oh cool mm -hmm. and yeah. then you finish your bachelor and your master and now you're at the PhD 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So after, after my master or actually magister, um, I decided, yeah, I, I have to do more. And I jumped into a PhD program. I applied and got accepted. And now I'm doing my PhD, uh, in Zurich at the university of Zurich in Switzerland on a language contact in Northern Burma. Wow. Yeah. It's very exotic, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so. You know, uh, there's a lot of. I know there's a lot of young people listening to the podcast, or or even some people who are a little bit older but haven't, you know, had the time or the the desire to go to university yet. But they still mm -hmm. are considering going into linguistics. Mm -hmm. What is, What are the things that people need to know about? You know, studying linguistics at at an academic level compared to you know just casually learning languages. What's the I mean, can you give a little, maybe a little uh, Cliff Notes version of, of yeah. what people should, should uh, expect? Yeah. Uh, okay. So many people who love languages um, hear about linguistics and they think, oh, wow, I want to study linguistics because that's just all languages. Or some people can't decide what language they want to study. So they just say, oh, I study just all languages, linguistics, <laughs> general linguistics. Right. But it's, it's not quite like that because um, even though some language learning is part of linguistics at the university. Um, it's not really about language learning. It's more about um, studying how to analyze languages and um, yeah, how to analyze them, how languages can work, um, how they do not work and how the brain uh, works with languages. So it's not just individual language learning, like uh, I'm learning Latin and Greek and Spanish or something. Um, you, you look into many languages and then you see, okay, there's a pattern. If a language, for example, if a language has um, subject, verb, object pattern, it usually also has prepositions or some, something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, those things you notice or, okay, they tell you and they show you that this is the case. And then, um, then you learn, um, how these things are connected to each other and how, for example, pronunciation is connected to, to words and how syntax is connected to, to the meaning and things like that. So it's, right. it gets quite, um, quite abstract and it technical. can be yeah quite technical and you could say it can get some, sometimes it can get very dry, mm -hmm. mm, but I always enjoyed it actually. So people should be a little bit wary or yeah. careful with, with choosing linguistics just because they like mm -hmm. languages, because it's not really, you know, it's, it's much more, much mm -hmm. more than just language. <laughs> it's, uh, it's yeah. all about the technical finer yeah. aspects. Yeah, it's right. It's not, not just language learning and it's also not translation. It's really science and it's scientific. It's mm -hmm. you, you can compare it to physics or biology or something with less formulas, but there are formulas as well. And right. <laughs> sometimes statistics is important. And so, um, yeah, but it's uh, also important that it's not... I mean, general linguistics, what I studied is not translation. You never do any translations. Mm -hmm. um, and some people think that um, if you study general linguistics, you learn how to translate things or to how, how, how to express yourself better. But that's that's not a part right. of linguistics. <laughs> well, that's um, good. I think we gave a little, a nice little public uh, service uh, message there for, for linguistics because I, I, mm -hmm. I, I have to echo the kind of the same sentiment when I was in, I, I was just doing English and we had a linguistics course. Mm -hmm. So if you can imagine linguistics as the great seas of the world, I had mm -hmm. a less than a glass of water of 
ah, linguistics. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> absolutely massive. But obviously, my introduction to linguistics was very basic. But even there, mm. I could feel that, you know, this is just not for me. This is way too kind of technical. It, it takes away oh, yeah. some of the excitement about language if you have to dig mm. that deep into it. It's kind of like, you know, a poem could be really nice. But sometimes if you overanalyze it, it's like, mm. Yeah, yeah, it's like it, it loses, sometimes loses its, its um, how to say, uh, it loses its its charm. Yeah. But I, I think absolutely. languages sometimes can, can for me, languages can gain some charm if they are analyzed. So, for example, there's a language and you, you yeah, you, you've heard about it and you think, oh, it's just some language. And then you analyze it in detail and you see, oh, wow, actually the, the phonology is extremely interesting. Like Danish, for example. I think you're a nat native speaker of Danish, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, for everyone else, you, you say Danish and they, oh, yeah, that's this northern language, just like Swedish and Norwegian. And um, the structure is pretty much the same, I think, like in Swedish and yep, Norwegian. Yes, yeah. But when you look at the pronunciation, at the phonetics and the <laughs> phonology, it's extremely interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and of course, you know, uh, there will be people out there who's sitting like, oh, my God, this sounds so exciting. When can I sign up? You know, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm not trying to uh, in, in, discourage anyone mm. from it. I mean, it's just yeah, trying to neither would I. The, mm. the, the both uh, sides of the argument. So the, the obvious question is, if you really love scripts... Mm -hmm. And you say that after a while you got into learning the languages because obviously you wanted to see how the scripts were put to use. Yeah. Um, so how, how did you kind of transition into, let's say, knowing a million scripts and then, you know, how do you transition into learning them? Because obviously now you have, let's say, 18 scripts to choose from. How did you say, mm -hmm. oh, I'm just going to do five minutes of each language every day? Or did, uh, you, yeah. did you, how did you choose and, and what did you go from there? Mm. So I have to say, um, for the 20 something scripts I can read and write, I usually don't know the languages of them. So I can read and write the Arabic script, uh, but I don't know any Arabic. I, I knew, know a few words and pff, I can say I'm, I'm a student or something, but, um, I have never really learned Arabic as a language, right. for example. And the same goes for Korean and for, um, pff, um, Khmer or, <laughs> or Hindi or something. Um, but, um, well, for example, in school I had English, of course, and German is my mother tongue. And I also had French in school, but I yeah, didn't really enjoy it. I have to admit. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I think then in, in 11th degree, uh, sorry, in 11th grade, I uh, heard about Esperanto for the first time uh -huh. and I thought, hmm, Esperanto, that sounds interesting. And I, tr I just started looking into it and I thought, wow, it's so easy. And I, I was just looking into it and I'm, I was already learning. Right. <laughs> I was already learning it. And then I started to enjoy language learning. Um, and I wanted to know more and I wanted to look into other languages. So I started a little bit with Finnish, which I don't speak, but I looked into it mm -hmm. and I sort of looked into all kinds of languages. So into Finnish and then Bulgarian and a little bit of Russian and Latin and Spanish and Chinese and, <laughs> and so on. And then I started studying. So I had to learn Chinese and later classical Chinese. Mm -hmm. But I also thought... Um, yeah, at the university you have this, um, at, at least in our university, we had so many language courses that were offered and, um, 
usually for the people who really study that subject. But I thought, hmm, I still have time. Um, why not study some Tibetan? <laughs> so in my first semester, I studied one semester of wow. Tibetan. In my second semester, uh, what was it? Um, I think Indo Indonesian. And then it was Khosa. And what was this? Was this the University of Very Obscure Languages, or uh, yeah, <laughs> so to speak? Yeah, it, it's just the University of Leipzig, but it's yeah, so we cool had though. I mean, yeah, we have a lot of very courses. Unusual. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you got into it via the university, and and yeah, I think. But you can't. Could could you learn much of one of those languages in one semester only? Mm, not really. Not really. Um, so I learned quite a lot in Indonesian in one semester and I got the basics of Russian in one semester. But um, yeah, what I was more interested, uh, I was more interested in learning about the grammar of the language and how the language internally works um, or how it's pronounced and, and those things mm -hmm. um, than in really learning to speak the language. So it was fun being able to say some things like, this is a table, this is not a chair, this is a, um, <laughs> this is a book. <laughs> That's nice to say. But I was more interested in, oh, wow, the genitive construction works like that. And oh, wow, they put the verb at the end. And um, yeah, th those things were much more interesting for me. Right. So, yeah. Well, that makes sense if you're kind of into linguistics, then mm, that's yeah. the mindset, isn't it? The, yeah, from a sci scientific right. perspective, yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, and of course, it's... What Chinese was it, by the way? Was it Mandarin or...? Yeah, yeah, it was Mandarin. All right. Mm. All right. And and that was that became your, your uh, what do you call it, minor? The second... Um, well, actually, in, in our university, um, it's uh, it was the magister, so we could choose between either two majors or one major and two minors. So I chose uh, two majors. Right. Yeah, this yeah. seems like a sensible decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, you got a lot, you got fine Chinese. Yeah, I, I was at the beginning of my Chinese class, I was quite good. I was almost the best of class, but then I got lazy and I thought, nah, I can, I can do all of that. It's no problem. But then I got really bad and I was almost the, the worst of, of my class. Wow. And yeah, and I got extremely lazy and I thought, oh no, this vocabulary and I can't practice it. And if I talk to Chinese people, I can't understand them. They can't understand me. So I got really bad and I was surprised about myself because I thought that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, um, I was in Berlin and I visited a friend, um, um, a fellow polyglot. Uh, I think you know her, you, uh, Judith Meyer. Yes. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, um, I visited her and I, she also knows Chinese. So I told her, yeah, I'm, I'm bad. What, what should I do about Chinese? And she said, yeah, why don't you use Anki? And I didn't know Anki. Right. So she showed me and yeah, Anki is that vocabulary learning program and it's so useful. And I, I used to practice with, um, yeah, with flashcards, but with cardboard flashcards or paper flashcards right. before but yeah it's always difficult because i always had to um, devise a system okay where do i have to put this card now um it this is the card from yesterday so it was difficult but now a computer could do everything and i just have to answer the question so it's so easy and um, by relearning all the vocabulary with Anki within one year, I got really good again. Okay. And then I decided to go to China and, um, I spent a year in China, in Kunming, in the South of China. And 
that was amazing because at the beginning it was still a bit difficult because, you know, foreign country and they all speak very fast and they have a kind of dialect there. Of course. Um, yeah. But I got into it and after half a year I could understand them and I could speak and everything was fine. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Yeah. I mean... Quite a, quite a, an inspirational story, I would say. That you kind of you were almost down and out. I mean, you were yeah. pretty much ready to just give up on the language, and then yeah, I, I really I for for two or three semesters after every semester, I decided no, I will give up Chinese. I will stop learning Chinese. I will keep studying linguistics, and I thought maybe I should choose um, like German for for foreigners or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, but people said, no, no, you have to try, try Anki and so on. You, you will, you will manage it. And yeah, they were right. Oh, <laughs> apparently. That's great. I mean, that's, uh, that's awesome to, f to find that some kind of technological help or yeah. assistance totally mm. changed the game. Mm. And I guess that's true for just everyone in general. If you go mm -hmm. back, you know, 50 years or something where we didn't have computers, then flash cutting can only be done by hand and, Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. this, it only gets so good, right? You know, there's not much science behind reading the back of a card and then putting it in a pile. Whereas, yeah. you know, the Anki this has all these options of how long do you want it to go away from and memorize it's even more yeah. advanced. It's it built on, you know, research at the universities where they, where they determine the optimum time of renewal mm -hmm. based on just before you were supposed to forget it. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's that's true. It's really cool, and it, like it's so sciencey. When I heard about it, I was like, "Wow, really? You do all this?" I thought it was just sort of, you know, yeah, three hours is probably fine. You know, that's when you need to review a, a word again. But yeah, it's apparently based on tons and tons of research that mm -hmm. shows that that's when you are probably going to forget it, or just before is the ideal time. So you keep mm -hmm. in mind, you know, the uh, the memory uh, theories, yeah, the older. Uh, space repetition theories and everything mm. um, and you can you can also adjust it so for example thai uh, i'm also learning thai so at the moment i'm, I'm learning thai and burmese with anki mm -hmm. and i noticed that burmese is very hard to remember for me for me but thai is very easy to remember oh, really? i can yeah, it's strange. And so I um, changed the time of Thai a little bit. Right. Um, so they come much later. Yeah, but that's that's exactly the, the advancements that we have now. Mm -hmm. So you don't waste time on renewing things that you easily uh, know already. Mm -hmm. I, I can only say the same with Russian. You know, I know oh, yeah. some Russian vocabulary is great because it comes from English and it's like, oh, yeah, that's easy. And then there's the words that are about as long as a sheet of paper. And oh, yeah. <laughs> they don't look anything like English. And you're like... like like Dostoprimichatilnost. Yeah, that's a perfect example, right? And I think I had the word for agricultural the other day, and it was like Selsko Hasestvenist or Selsko Hasestveni. Oh, wow. And it's like, what the f I mean, the, the, the letter was so long that the memorize window had a scroll bar all of a sudden. I had never <laughs> oh, yeah. seen that before. I had yeah. never seen that before. Uh, yeah. So for me, Russian is also a lot harder to memorize. And for instance, Esperanto, and mm -hmm. I know that's, you know, very, uh, the probably the best example of an easy to remember vocabulary, but still, you know, I, I only needed one or two uh, review reviews of a Esperanto word before I remembered it. Yeah. Whereas in Russian, it might take me sometimes more than 10 mm. Oh yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, so it, it's it's great that we have that flexibility, 
and mm-hmm. and also that we don't have to worry about it ourselves because the system is going to send it back to us at some point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's not our responsibility because once you guessed it right or wrong, mm-hmm. the system mm-hmm. is going to be like, okay, we'll send that to you in in due course. You know. <laughs> yeah, right. Like for example, today when I when I uh, went back home from the university, I was practicing Anki in the in the tram, and uh, one word showed up, uh, which was the word for this in Thai, okay, yeah. which which is ni, and um, I hit yeah easy, and it's. I, I will see this word again in 5.7 years. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and I thought, wow, it's, it's, yeah. So it's from when you started the... Yeah, yeah. It, it was definitely from the first words. <laughs> mm. That's funny. That's really funny. Um, speaking of uh, Esperanto and conlangs, uh, you mm-hmm. know, it must have been pretty awesome to have discovered Esperanto so early. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do anything with it uh, later? I mean, since you decided to speak the pronunciations on Forvo, did you have anything to do with the Esperanto organization after? Um, well, a little bit. Um, so for Forvo, that was just for fun. I, I just thought, oh, cool. They don't have so many Esperanto speakers yet. So I pronounced some words for them mm-hmm. or for, for the website. Um, but um, very early. So I, I learned Esperanto in 2002. And then half a year later, I was, um, I already went to my first, um, Esperanto meeting in Sweden, mm-hmm. in Leshefors. <laughs> That's, no one has ever heard it. It's, it's a very tiny town in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> really. Um, and that was, that was really cool because there were so many, um, young Esperanto speakers and, um, yeah, I spoke Esperanto with them and it was almost the first time that I really saw, wow, it really works. And, um, afterwards I, yeah, decided to be much more active in, in, in Esperantuyo, as, as we say, um, in the Esperanto world. Um, so I, I helped to organize some Esperanto meetings for beginners in Germany, uh, when I was a better speaker then, and I taught Esperanto, um, at those meetings, I even decided to teach Esperanto for one semester at my university in, in Leipzig. Wow. Yeah. Cool. And, um, yeah, I, I was also some, yeah, well, kind of the founder or co-founder of the, um, of an, um, well, a weekly Esperanto meeting, uh, in Leipzig in my hometown. And, uh, at the beginning we were only like three people <laughs> and then we were four and then we were five. And I think at some point we were like 15. Cool. Um, yeah. It's nice to see the development. Mm-hmm. Um, recently I, uh, I posted a, a, a topic of writing about Esperanto and my kind of introduction mm-hmm. to it and uh if people are interested in reading about that it's uh, actualfluency.com forward slash esperanto um, but one of the reasons that i think esperanto is a good idea is because of what you're talking about here the community and mm-hmm. i think that the linguistic uh, sort of advantages to learning esperanto are quite limited if you already know a few languages i think it's fantastic if you're like 12 years old or something and mm-hmm. you speak maybe a language and a half and you're not really sure if it's possible to learn languages. Yeah. Like, you know, some of those studies that have been done, I, I find that absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you had a similar kind of experience with Esperanto. It was like, oh, it's easy. So yeah. try other languages. Yeah, that's and, right. But do you have any, do you, I mean, is that basically it? Or am I, am I forget, forgetting some reasons for why people should learn Esperanto? 
Um, so, so th that's definitely one one great point. And and for example, my my girlfriend um, who's from Russia, but uh, she's also an Esperanto speaker. I uh, met her through um, in France in an Esperanto meeting, and we always speak Esperanto to each other. Oh, that's cool. um, yeah, <laughs> and she also started um, learning Esperanto um, when she only knew Russian and very little, uh, very little English, because you know the school system and. Yeah, it's it's not so common for Russian people to to speak very good English, right. and she was one of them. And um, but when she easily learned Esperanto, she noticed, oh wow, it it is actually possible to learn a language and speak it fluently. Right. And after that, she she improved very much with her English as well. And then she learned German, and now she's learning Italian. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's scary what sort of limits that we can set on ourselves. I mean, it's obviously something to do with society. It's not, I mean, I don't suppose people are born with the limit in their mind, but yeah. I think that it's like we grow up and, you know, it's just a mm. kind of a society's reaction. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, you speak, you know, two languages or maybe even one. If you can, mm. I guess the problem is in Russia, if you can manage with only Russian forever, yeah, then why would you learn another language? Mm, I, I think that's... <laughs> That's the case, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I if I mm. knew Danish, for instance, I could do mm. nothing. I could yeah. be a potato farmer here. That would be nice. <laughs> that would be a nice life. But yeah. I could never go anywhere. And I could never go to like Copenhagen because there'd be too many people who didn't understand Danish. Mm -hmm. um, so, but but it is truly remarkable. I feel that the, the sort of barriers. And, and that's why I really, really uh, would like to do more with Esperanto. I'd really love to get yeah. into the school. Yeah, like but, to the young people. Oh yeah, that would be great. And and back to your question. So what what else is um, amazing about Esperanto is um, the the community. So um, it's it's amazing. It's it's um, we we speak of an, of a kind of Esperanto culture, mm -hmm. and then people are like, but Esperanto is an invented language. Yeah. How could it how could it possibly have a culture? It's an invented culture. But um, actually, it's not. It's not an invented culture. It's um, so Esperanto is mainly spoken not only on the internet or at home sometimes but also on uh, conferences and meetings and festivals and there are so many festivals where you can go to and sometimes they have topics like okay um, for a small meeting the topic is nature and people discuss nature or something but sometimes it's just music and fun and dancing and and some lessons and lectures and yeah and that's amazing because you you suddenly suddenly you are almost like in an, another country yeah exactly. um, and then there are people from all over the world they're really from all over the world from all over europe whatever and um yeah you know they're from france and from spain and from moldovia but they speak they speak esperanto and you can understand them and it's um it's 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 a very different feeling from um from using english to communicate with people i think yeah i think so too and mm -hmm. it's like there's a there's a culture shift when you decide to learn esperanto you kind of you're kind of saying to yourself and to the world that you're open to meeting people from other cultures. Yeah. So you're kind yeah, of existing in between countries. Mm -hmm. almost. It's like when you at an Esperanto meeting, it's like you are in a, in a new country sort of. Yeah. It's like an international country, so to speak. It's, yeah. it's like, you don't feel like, okay, now I'm in Sweden right. or France or wherever. Of course you are there and, and the nature and you see, oh wow, Sweden is really beautiful and, and everything. 
but the, the people you don't feel like you are in a in a Swedish environment right. because everyone everyone speaks something else and you can ask those people about their languages in Esperanto and they can explain it and yeah right And speaking of conlangs, and I know uh, some people will appreciate me for uh, asking about this, but I just have to preface this next question with, I am not in any way a fan of anything that starts with star. Oh, um, okay. So yeah. I'm just going to preface it with that, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, mm -hmm. you, one of the things that I, I noticed about you when we met in Berlin was that you mm. did a Klingon class. Oh, yeah. And it's obviously <laughs> a, a short class. It was uh, what, mm -hmm. an hour or something. But yeah. obviously, so you, you know Klingon, but I guess why? <laughs> no, why? Yeah. I, I, why? I, I can understand Esperanto, but for me, yeah. Klingon is still a bit of a stretch. Can you maybe, I mean, are yeah. you just a big fan of the series or? <laughs> yes, yes, that too. So it all fits together because I'm, I was always, I've always been a Star Trek fan and I love the, the series Star Trek and Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. And I've always been a language fan. So it all come, came together and I thought language, Star Trek, hey, there's a Klingon dictionary. I will buy that. Right. I will learn Klingon. And that happened already very early, also in primary school, I think. And at the beginning, I didn't really learn it. I looked at that and I thought, wow, how does that work? Um, but over, over the time and later on, I really started learning it uh, seriously. And uh, it's not that hard. It's not as hard as people could imagine, right. but it's a real language. So it's not just gibberish. It's not just uh, English with other words. It really has a grammar, a unique grammar. Um, for example, the word order is object, verb, subject, yeah, which is right. exactly the inverse of, of English and German. Mm. Yeah, I saw some pretty funny examples, but yeah. I, I, so it's a, it's a real language, which is which yeah. I guess is good news. It's not just a kind of a joke. Yeah, it's not, not, not a joke, but it was like, yeah, it was invented for the Star Trek series or for the movies. Um, and by it was invented by linguist. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he tried to compile all the, all the exotic stuff from different languages that he knew. Cool. Mm. And do you have any plans of, uh, or maybe uh, have you learned other sort of, uh, let's say, uh, filmic or, you know, other uh, of these sort of con languages that came out of popular culture? Um, other con langs, um, not many. I've learned a little bit Tokipona, which is also um, a con lang, which is very small and very simple. Right, the But minimalist, uh, the minimalist word vocabulary. Yeah. What do you think one. about that? Oh, I think it's, um, I think it's, I think it's nice. It's nice, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's nice and cute. And, um, I, I once learned it, but I forgot most of it. And, um, I still like it very much. And I also bought the book by, by the author, mm -hmm. Sonia Lang. And, um, yeah, maybe I, I will uh, jump into it again I someday. Think, I think she'll appreciate, um, you calling it uh, nice and cute. I think that was the original yeah. idea actually. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it's actually yeah. going to be a, uh, you know, the memorized people, mm -hmm. they're actually doing a Tokipona marathon oh, wow. in about, okay, depending on, we might do a little back to the future, <laughs> might do a little back to the future segment here, but uh, on the, uh, in, in the middle of December, they're doing a, oh yeah, 25th of September, when was it? The 15th of September right. or, yeah, no. event and then um, sadly yeah. it's uh, full, so uh, there's no more spaces, but okay. I think they're going to do a lot of stuff online. 
So mm-hmm. if people are interested in Tokipona, I would suggest keeping an eye on the Memorize website because there might be some videos and some blog posts. And of course, I'll be I'll be there and reporting for the actual fluency blog. And I'll write down my experiences trying to learn a language in 48 hours. <laughs> wow. um, if, mm. if any language, right? That's the one to choose, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you can actually manage it because 120 words, you can just do the maths, how many words you have to learn Right. In an hour by with Anki or something or memorize. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the problem is you should you need to review them a few times. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm. So once you if you run through 120 words, you can probably do that in about mm. an hour, two hours. I mean, mm-hmm. That takes no time, I suppose. Yeah, it's three hours later when it's up for review, all 120, and then you get half of them wrong. And you yeah. have to relearn them and yeah. then it's another three hours for some of them and some will be five hours and mm. you probably have to plan ahead how to learn them exactly and i hope yeah. that the memorized people being the brilliant uh, linguistic scientists that they are uh, mm-hmm. will uh, have made a plan for us <laughs> so, <laughs> I I don't, so. Uh, yeah. so i don't have to do it um, or in case this goes out in the future i'll obviously already be speaking tokipona but uh, that's the beauty of uh you know, back to the future in podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're not exactly live. But, um, that I mean, great. We've been around uh, most of the subjects that I had in mind. And I see mm-hmm. that um, they opened up the registration for next year's Polyglot Gathering. Oh, yeah. Are you yeah. going to be joining? <laughs> I will, I will. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh my God, already 50 people uh, were joining just yesterday. Right. <laughs> I think I have to be quick. But yeah, I plan to join and Yeah, I guess I that's another public service message. You know, it's an f- amazing event and mm-hmm. you should sign up now because mm-hmm. it will be full. It was full last year and then it was it was the first time last year. Nobody has heard about it. Mm. Nobody, nobody, we only knew about it through networking. Yeah, but that's right. They they never um, made any commercial efforts or ads. Yeah, it was like when it was like in private uh, in a private Facebook group, mm-hmm. and all the sort of the people in the Polygon community got to got first dibs. And I think about two hundred people, nah, maybe a little bit less, but about about one hundred and fifty signed up. And then mm-hmm. they were like, "Let's make the Facebook group public," and that's mm-hmm. when I saw it. Ah. And I just, I was just like, oh my god, oh my god, limited space, twenty spaces left. Oh my god, oh my god, I gotta register now. <laughs> yeah. And that was like, you know, I didn't even check my bank account to see if I could even afford it or anything. No problem, just do it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, worry about the the money stuff later. <laughs> exactly. And 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 that's, I just want to say that to people who are who are sitting out there going like, hmm, should I participate or not? Yes, you should, and you should register early because it will get sold out. I'm. Hundred percent sure, yeah. And uh, and, being, so. and 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 they shouldn't worry if uh, they shouldn't worry about being a polyglot or not. When they say, "Ah, I just know three languages," is that enough for a polyglot? Yes, it is. Yeah, I think <laughs> one is enough. I mean, there was one guy yeah. last time who only spoke English, and he had a lot oh. of fun. I think. Ah, cool. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, definitely. And I guess it is. It it is a problem with the term polyglot that you kind of have to know what it means. Mm-hmm. To to sort of you know understand that it's not that important, yeah. But if mm-hmm. you don't really know about it, then it might seem like a bit of a like a sort of mark of arrogance. You know, it's like oh, we got yeah. a little polyglot club here. You know, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think that that would be misinterpreting it. You know, it's it. I, I would call it, you know, aspiring polygods. Uh, yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> it's, it's. I learned a lot, definitely. Yeah, and, me too. Mm-hmm. And so much inspiration. Holy Jesus! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much inspiration. Everyone oh, was yeah. just like, when you saw those name tags with people who had like fifteen languages and they just switched between mm-hmm. them. And mm-hmm. uh, and all those talks about how we can learn better and 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 all mm-hmm. those things. So I'm definitely excited to to be there, and I'm looking forward to to catching up with you and and hear how the PhD is going or yeah did, <laughs> went <laughs> maybe. Oh yeah, well it's still going on for three years. Oh right, okay, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it's a long commitment. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and, and uh, Andre, if you have, uh, do you have any places where people can uh, can find you, or any um, places you want to plug? Then this is your chance. Um, I, I used to have a blog, and I still have it, but I, I don't use it anymore. And <laughs> um, so um, at the moment, I don't really have a website where people can really reach me. Uh, but let's give um, them a link to your Facebook page, so they can send you a message yeah. there, maybe. Yeah. Okay. That's possible. So, um, if you want to add me on Facebook, um, the name you have to enter, so you can either enter my name, Andre Müller, or you can enter, uh, because uh, everyone in Germany has that name Müller. It's the most <laughs> <Right>. common name. <laughs> so it's better to write, um, my, well, nickname. That's yeah. Well, an Esperanto nickname it's Vortarulo. So it starts with a V and then O R T. <laughs> um, Vortarulo. Well, Vortarulo <laughs> starts with a V and yeah. Vortarulo, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it means di- dictionary guy because I collect dictionaries. Right. Yeah, I mm-hmm. see some of the pictures there. Uh, it's a very impressive collection. Ah, yeah, thank you. And, um, I, I must say dictionaries are one of those things where I just refuse to get the physical copies because I was always uh-huh. useless in class mm-hmm. when people were like, oh, yeah, look up the word. And I was like, it takes ages. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so when they introduce, you know, Google Translate or all these multi dictionaries where you can just search mm-hmm. everything, that really changed my life. So I, mm-hmm. I don't like having these bulky around, but obviously you started at an yeah. early age. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. And I, I am, I'm quite quite fast with dictionaries because like it, it sounds strange when I say I memorize the order of the alphabet because yeah, who, who doesn't <laughs> But like people say, okay, let's wo- look up the word uh, thorn in the dictionary T that's uh, somewhere at the end, but I know exactly right. where, where it is. You're so skilled. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> well, Andre, thank you so much for taking the time to come and, uh, mm-hmm. and share your story with us. And uh, I'll be looking forward to, uh, to seeing you in Berlin. Yeah, me too. And uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Same to you. Thank you. And to the listeners. Yeah, definitely. uh, Happy New Year to everyone out there when you listen to this. Uh All right. I'll see you later. Yeah, see you later. Gis la revido. Gis la revido. Thank you for listening to the Actual Fluency Podcast. For more information, be sure to check out actualfluency.com. Until next time, enjoy learning and have a great day.